My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We're very excited to have a guest on our show today with me in summer. Her name is Missy. Missy, uh, take it away. Introduce yourself. Okay, I will. So um, I guess a little about me, me and my first husband, I just got remarried, but me and my first husband, um, we started dating in 2014, 2015, and we ended up getting married July of 2015. So um, I was 23 at the time. He was 21. So I was a little bit older. We met on um, a mission serving for our church. So that's how we met. And we kind of just became friends and then dated that way. Um, and we had lifelong ambitions of going to Disneyland and doing Disney cruises and um, just like growing a life together. And so in 2016, um, we were kind of just like, let's just have a fun year where we just have a lot of fun going to Disneyland every month. So we got annual passes, which was like a lifelong dream of mine. <laughs> he had, he had had annual passes before, but we would go once a month to Disneyland. We would leave Friday afternoon and then come back Sunday night. And so that was, um, a fun year for us. We just went every month. Cause you live in Utah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I live in Utah. Well, we both lived in Utah. We lived in Orem at the time. So it was just like a, I think it's a total of eight hours drive down to Anaheim. So it's not too bad. So we had a lot of fun that way. We had a hotel that we always stayed at and they knew us at that time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of was like, okay, we can have this year of fun and then we need to settle down into like adulthood and um, try to plan for our future that way. So we ended up buying a house in um, 2017 and it was up in Harriman at the time, which um, Salt Lake County, it was kind of booming at that time. And so we were able to get a pretty good deal in a house. And so we moved into the house, um, May of 2017. And then July of 2017, my husband, Steven had a seizure while he was at work. And so, um, he went to the hospital. I was working at Draper at the time. He was working for his family business in Orem. Um, they help adults with special needs just find jobs and like perform well in those jobs. So they do a lot of driving them around to their jobs and just helping them to, um, perform well and find stuff that they like. And they also have like a long, a long care business on their side to teach them work ethic and stuff. So he was with his brother at the time in the car and he was just feeling a little off. So he said to his brother, I'm not feeling good. I need to pull over and you need to drive. And so they stopped over in a grocery store um, parking lot. And he kind of just stepped out of the car and was walking over to the passenger side. And he turned and looked to his brother and he's like, I just really don't feel good. And so Steven being who he is, he was very active, very athletic. He was like, maybe I just need to do some push-ups." So he started to do push-ups, And then <laughs> when he stood up, he looked at his brother and he said, I couldn't count how many I had or how many I did. And so it was at that moment where he kind of fell back and then had a seizure. So I got a call from his brother and 
it's not like his brother to call me. So mm-hmm. I was at work and I saw his brother was calling me and I was like, Oh no, what's happening. So I ran, um, to go to the bathroom to like, you know, cause I couldn't be on my, I worked as a medical assistant at the time. So I couldn't like be on the phone in front of patients. Right. So I went into the bathroom and I listened to the message and he just said that he had had a seizure and that his mom was on the way to the hospital to go meet with him. Um, and whatnot. So I went to my boss and I was like, Hey, Steven just had a seizure. Are you okay? If I leave to go down to the hospital to just go see how he is. So, um, on that day we found out that there was a mass on his brain and they initially thought that it was just going to be like a low grade glioma. Cause at the time Steven was not even 23 yet. And so they were like, or he might've been 23 actually. Um, but they just assumed like, you know, nobody, but have brain cancer this young, like, you know, so they just thought it was something that was slow growing. And so, um, the neurosurgeon that was on call said to us, how about we just wait till next month or whenever you guys would be available and we'll go in and do brain surgery and just do a biopsy just to see what it is and kind of go from there. So that was, um, July 15th of 2017. And we scheduled the brain surgery for August 25th. Cause I always had Fridays off. And so in my mind, I was like, well, that will just be convenient because then I have the weekend to be with him, help take care of him, be in the hospital with him. So we signed up for August 25th. Um, and that morning when we got there, he, um, had to get an MRI just to make sure that like it hadn't grown too much or stuff like that. And while we were waiting for him to go back into surgery, they had me go down into the waiting room and they had a nurse that was just there that could contact the doctors if we needed them or if we had questions or whatnot. And so, um, I noticed that had been like three hours since his surgery was supposed to start and it wasn't starting. And so I asked the operating room nurse, I was like, Hey, do you know what's going on? Like, why is it taking so long? Was there another surgery? I thought he was the first one. So I kind of was just asking her these questions and she was like, I'll go find out. So we went, um, we just kind of waited for a minute. She came back down and goes, so he just got hooked up to the brain mapping and they're getting ready to start the surgery now. And I said, wait, I thought it was just a biopsy. Why are they doing brain mapping? Cause brain mapping is mm-hmm. where they put leads on your head to make sure that they're not going to any spots that like affect speech or motor function or stuff like that, just to make sure that the surgery is going okay. And it's not going to cause any deficits. And so she said, Oh, uh, I'm not sure I'll have the surgeon talk to you when he's done. <laughs> so the surgery <laughs> surgery went on. And when the surgeon came down, he just said to me, he's like, you know, um, it was definitely more aggressive than I thought it was. And so I just kind of figured we needed to just go and get as much possible as we could rather than just taking a little biopsy. And so, um, within that month time it had doubled in size. So it was actually pushing, I I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with anatomy or whatnot, but the brain has that center, the center, like little line, his tumor was pushing it over. And so it was pretty big (laughs) and it needed to come out. So the surgeon said, it will typically take about seven to 10 days for us to be able to get the biopsy results, but just know that it's aggressive. And me being naive at that time was just like, oh, it's not a big deal, right? And it ended up taking a little over two weeks for us to finally get the results because he they had sent it to the Mayo Clinic, they had sent it to the Huntsman, 
Um, and then they did it at the laboratory at the hospital that they did it at. And they all came back with a stage four glioblastoma, which is like the most aggressive brain cancer that you could have. Um, so we started down on that journey of the cancer world. And the funny thing is the month before, so June, um, Stephen had been talking to his dad cause it was a family company. He'd been talking to his dad about getting life insurance and he was like, well, I don't feel like I need it right now. So he just kind of pushed it off. And so, and he had even been like, well, if we want to save money, like maybe I don't need health insurance either. And so I fought him on that. And I was like, no, you're having health insurance. Yeah. Like, you never know what's going to happen. Thankfully, I'm glad he listened because he had health insurance, which was nice. But um, that helped to cover for some of the stuff. So we started that first year. He was kind of like, well, if I only... they." So we met with cancer doctors. Um, and they told him that he initially had six months to live. And so they were kind of like, it's up to you what you want to do. And so him, he was like, I would rather not be sick for those six months that I have left. I'd rather just be able to live the life that I want to. So he didn't do any chemo or anything. And then he was able to go till the next July. So July of 2018, he became paralyzed on the left side of his body because the tumor grew back and it grew back um, deeper. And so now it was affecting his motor. And so we had our house in Harriman. We had just been living in there for like a year at that time. And he could no longer do our stairs that were in our house. And so um, we started the journey of selling the house and we moved back in with his parents. So that way we wouldn't have to pay rent or anything. And I could quit my job and become just his full-time caregiver because he needed help with, I mean, everything. He had to relearn how to walk. He had to relearn how to feed himself. He had to relearn how to do everything. But um, that July of 2018, he ended up needing emergency brain surgery because there was so much pressure in his brain that um, his pupil blew. And so he originally was like, okay, we'll start chemo and radiation since I'm not like as healthy as I was before. Like we might as well try to fight it. So in 2018, that's when we started meeting with doctors at Huntsman to try to start chemo. And then he ended up being there for a radiation appointment when they were like, we need to get you in for a surgery. So he had, he ended up having emergency brain surgery. Um, and then we spent a month at an inpatient rehab facility for learning, like for him to relearn how to walk. And, um, he did speech therapy, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. He would do it for each of them. I want to say it was like two hours every day. So it was like six hours total of therapy. So it was pretty draining, but, um, thankfully I was able to, you know, not have to work. And so that way I could just be there with him and help him with therapy and stuff. And then he ended up getting, um, he got discharged out of that. He ended up getting blood clots. So mm. then he was put back into the hospital. And, um, I don't know if you really know anything about blood thinner medication, but the one he was on, it cost us about $200 a month just to, and that was like with insurance. But once we finally reached like the out-of-pocket max, it went down, but it was still pretty expensive. But 
cancer journeys in and itself are just expensive to begin with. But thankfully we were able to, after 2018, when I quit my job, we got onto the marketplace. And so that was able to kind of help us to afford things more financially. And also with um, cancer treatments, there's a lot of help too. If you are kind of like a low income family, they're able to um, decrease some of the rates of some of the things. So luckily we were able to afford all of that. And from selling our house, we had some money that we were able to kind of use from savings. But so 2018 um, and 2019, he was doing okay as well as he could be basically. And then in the summer of 2019, his dad unexpectedly passed away. Oh no. So (laughs) yeah. So um, we kind of, it was kind of a, I want to say like, not necessarily a tender mercy, but it was kind of eye opening for us. Like we need to be prepared for those sort of things. Right. So, cause we saw his mom having to go through all of that stuff to try to figure out like, you know, um, house title, car titles, all of that type of stuff. And because Steven at the time couldn't drive, we ended up just selling his car. And so that way we didn't have his car to worry about. It was just mine. And we made sure that like, my name was on everything that we knew passwords and everything. Cause you know, like when you go through an unexpected death, you have to try to figure out all of that and trying to talk to people, like even just cell phone plans, just they're like, well, we need to talk to his dad's name is Paul. They were like, we need to talk to Paul. And we're like, you can't, (laughs) that's why we're calling you. We need to cancel it because he's not here anymore. But so we were able to like, thankfully with having that unexpected death, we were able to prepare for his better. And so he, um, he was, I'm very indecisive as a person just in general, but he kind of was like, as a last gift, what I want to give to you is just making sure that we have everything kind of in order, ready to go. So that way, when I do pass away, it's, um, easier for you. Like you don't have to make those hard financial decisions. So everything was moved over into my name. Um, and we didn't have to worry about anything like that, which was super nice. And he even, so in 2020, he started to get really sick and we kind of knew that it was going to be, you know, the end and we had to decide to go on hospice. And so in June, um, of 2020 was when he started to get even more sick and was having seizures almost daily, even like multiple times a day. And so and that was like the year of COVID. So I was pretty much like, Hey, we can't go anywhere. We have to stay inside. Like people that are coming over, we have to make sure that they're like really okay. Cause I was like, I don't want, I mean, I don't know how COVID would react with you. So I don't want you to all of a sudden get sick from COVID and die from that, you know? Yeah. So, so we were pretty um, strict on what we like, who we let, what we did, stuff like that. And it got to the point that even Huntsman wouldn't let me come in with him to his appointments. And so at that point, like June of 2020, he was like, I'm sick of sitting in for my infusions for two plus hours just by myself, not really being able to like, cause he could communicate just fine, but like sometimes recalling questions or answers that the nurses would ask him, he couldn't really do. And so he liked me to be there so I could answer the questions. And so, um, in June of 2020, he was kind of like, 
I don't know if I can keep doing this anymore. Cause I would, he couldn't drive himself. So I would drive him up to Huntsman from Orem, which is like a 45 minute drive. I would drive him up there and then just sit in the parking lot for the few hours while he had his infusions. And, um, so in June he was just kind of like, I think I'm over this by July. We finally had like made the decision like, yeah, no, we don't want to keep doing this anymore. It's too hard for him mentally, physically, emotionally, all of the things. So the beginning of August of 2020 is when he was placed on hospice. And he, um, at that time he had already gone to the mortuary. He had picked out his casket. He had picked out his flowers. He had, um, just pretty much planned the whole funeral. We had already paid for it. And then for our anniversary, our fifth wedding anniversary, um, which was July 8th of 2020, we went and designed this headstone and picked it out and paid for it. <laughs> that's that how we anniversary. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's how we celebrated our anniversary. And he felt so sick that day, but he was like, I just know that like, I, I don't want to leave this for you to have to figure out. And I even had told him, I was like, Hey, just so you know, like, if you don't help me plan your headstone, you're just going to have an unmarked grave. Cause I was like, that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on me. <laughs> so thankfully he was willing to go and do that. So we designed the headstone, um, and paid for that and everything. So by the time that he, so even just up to him passing away, all I had to worry about was just spending the time with him and making sure that he was comfortable and everything. Um, so he ended up passing away on August 31st of 2020. And, um, it was still at the time where funerals were pretty limited with who we could have. And so before he passed away though, we had talked about what I was going to do with my future and just, you know, kind of moving forward. Cause I had worked as a medical assistant, but I didn't really want that as a career. Um, I originally wanted to do nursing school, but then I got into nursing school and realized I didn't love it. So I was kind of just like taking a pause. And, um, when he was on hospice, we kind of decided I would apply for a PTA program, which is a physical therapist assistant. And so two weeks after he passed away and the funeral was done, I went and enrolled into the PTA program, which was pretty special. Um, cause I felt like I was able to, for one, be able to keep our dream alive, but not only like keep his memory alive as well. Cause there's his physical therapist and occupational therapist and speech therapist. He was only limited to a certain number of people at his funeral, but he wanted them to be there. The ones that we spent the month with. And so, um, they were all honorary pallbearers at his funeral. And he even was just like, I feel like I need to not let some of my aunts and uncles come just so that way they can come because they made a bigger difference. And so I just recently graduated from the PTA program in December and I'm now like officially licensed PTA. And it's um, awesome because I feel like I'm able to keep his memory alive through that aspect. And I actually met my second husband through that program as well. So we were in school together and that's how we met, but, um, yeah. Wow. What a, what a crazy timeline. Yeah. Very. Yeah. <laughs> he lived a lot longer than they originally projected. Right. And so, yeah. So he, they said six months initially and he lived for three years, which is 
pretty with a glioblastoma that's considered a long-term survivor. Wow. Yeah. And during that whole time, basically you weren't working much, right? Mm -mm. You were able to be a caretaker. mm -hmm. So we were living off of what we had made from selling our house, which luckily it had, um, I can't remember like how much, but it had like gone up quite a bit just in that year and a half of us owning it, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great blessing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and probably you kept your expenses pretty low too. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause we didn't have rent. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And being on the marketplace, you got subsidized cause you weren't working. Yep. Your health insurance. Yeah. How about medical bills? So thankfully, um, we didn't, I mean, we would pay with that. We would pay for that with our money that we had in savings from selling our house. But we also had a lot of support from family as well. So that first year of like the cancer stuff, um, it was more expensive because we weren't on the marketplace insurance. So we were kind of just on like a low monthly premium, like just basically the catastrophe. Yeah. High deductible. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So we were on that. So that first year was definitely the year that we had the most amount of um, medical stuff that we had to pay for. But the, then we got, we're able to get onto the help, the marketplace. And that's helped a lot with being able to afford. Cause not only were our monthly premiums low, but we were also able to get like a better um, deductible and out of pocket max. So that helped significantly. Mm-hmm. Did you have a health savings account at all during that time before? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Do you ever consider it or look at it? No, honestly, we were so young and naive that we were like, we're fine. Like <laughs> we don't need to do anything. <laughs> like yeah. I said, like the month before he was talking about getting health insurance and he was like, or not health insurance, life insurance. And he was like, Oh, I'll be fine. But it was really funny. Cause one of the times while he was getting a chemo infusion, um, there was a life insurance company, commercial that was on the TV there. And so he was like, I'm just going to call them. Cause they said they'll accept everyone. <laughs> so he <laughs> called them while he was right there. And they were like, well, do you have any active tumors? And he was like, well, yeah. And they were like, sorry, we can't cover you. And he's like, I figured, but I just might as well try. <laughs> Jeez. Well, it seems like he was really looking out for you and doing a lot of planning. Yes. Which everybody's a little different. We've heard some people, you know, they don't talk much about end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, or they don't do a lot of planning together, but you feel, do you feel like that was helpful for him in his journey to be able to help you and prepare for that? I, I feel like it, um, yes. Cause I think had his dad not died the year before, it would have been a totally different scenario. I think the fact that his dad died and he like saw how stressful all of that was like, when it's unexpected, it kind of opened his mind more because before he'd be like, I'm never going to die. Like this isn't going to kill me, you know? And then after that happened, he was kind of like, okay, maybe I do need to start planning because this is something that will eventually take my life and it would be best to kind of prepare. So I almost, I almost feel bad when I talk to other widows when they talk about how stressful it was after their husbands passed away. Cause I felt like mine was just very, um, peaceful because everything was pretty much already taken care of, which I was so appreciative of. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess you're the success story, right? If this is why you should prepare. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like even now with my husband now, I'm like, okay, we need to know each other's passwords. We need to know like all of this type of stuff. So that way 
if something happens, because again, I'm 30 now, but you never know what life's going to sh- show, right? You never know what's going to happen. So I feel like it's important to just be open and honest and talk about those sort of things too. Mm-hmm. Have you, is there other things you've done besides like sharing passwords, like how you title things or? So right now we're just renting. So we haven't really had to title anything. His car is in his name. My car is in my name. We haven't like really dove in too deeply with that. We just got married in October, but I'm sure we will as, as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything else like in preparation for being married the second time of like how to plan financially or what to talk about? Or I felt like I was very, um, I felt like with this second marriage, I was way more intentional with like budgeting. Like even before we got married, I was like, okay, we need to talk about monthly expenses, budgeting, um, IRAs, like stuff like that. Just be very open about it. Yeah. Why, why do you feel like you need to be more open? What? I feel like, so that way, like, I mean, that way it's not like it's going to be like a fight or anything. Like he knows how I feel. I know how he feels. And then that way I knew it wasn't going to be an issue when we got married as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how about life insurance? Do you have life insurance now? I have life insurance now. And so does my husband. <laughs> I, yeah. That was like one of the first things when we got our jobs, I said, okay, we're having life insurance. So yes, we have life insurance now too. <laughs> How did you decide how much life insurance to get? Um, for right now, so my dad is pretty um, good with all the financial type stuff. So I was just kind of asking him. We kind of just decided like for right now, we would just do one of like the lower ones. So that way, because we don't have like a ton of stuff that we would have to cover if one of us passed away. And so I think we'll increase it. Like if we start to have kids or, you know, buy a house or something like that. And then... um the financial advisor that I talked with as I was getting the life insurance set up, he said that I can increase it as like we have kids house and then decrease it as we get older, depending on how old we are. So that way we're just like really only getting what we necessarily need to be able to pay. Cause funerals are really expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I see a lot of people your age who's like, well, I don't have kids. I don't have a house. I don't need life insurance. So yeah, so you, you end up well, like, that's, have- that's Yeah. That's totally what I was too. Like first marriage, I was like, oh, we don't really need life insurance. Like we're young. We don't have a house. We don't need like stuff to really pay for. But um, it's important regardless. That way, when you pass away, at least you have like set up something for your spouse or whoever the beneficiary is to make sure that one, you can take care of any debts to take care of um, funeral expenses. Yeah. Medical bills if they're what or any. Yeah. 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 And it was such a, you know, that you'd gotten so much money out of your house. Otherwise you probably would have had to work. Right. Or yeah. Had debt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, it was, it ended up being a huge blessing because at first we weren't going to get the house and we just both felt like, Oh, we just really need to just do it. Like right now we just need to do it. And looking back, cause at first I was like, well, I'm so sad because we only got to live in it for really a year before he couldn't use the stairs anymore. So I was really upset about that, but, um, in the long end, it kind of makes sense as to, you know, why we need the two. Yeah. Well, and you were pretty young, like in your early twenties, buying a house that's younger than most people buy houses. (laughs) Yes. Tell us about that decision and why you decided to buy a house. 
Honestly, we we had just been saving up a lot so that way we could put a down payment on. So when we first got married, we lived with his parents just so we could save money because we knew ultimately we wanted to just get a house like as quick as we could. So we we lived with his parents so that way we wouldn't have to pay for rent and we could just pay for like necessities and then save as much money as we could so we could have a pretty good down payment on for a house. It was just I don't know I don't even know why we decided. <laughs> We were just kind of like, let's do it. Yeah. It's kind of like a spur of the moment. That's great. Not really. I mean, it took a while, but, but yeah. That's great. Um, did you ever make it back to Disneyland after that year of passes? So we, yes, we went to Disneyland on his birthday in 2019 before he passed. And we also, I mean, we went to Disneyland a couple times after his cancer diagnosis, but it wasn't as frequently as we would have liked. We did go right before he had his first brain surgery though, as like a little escape before reality hit. Yeah. That's fun. You're still a Disney fan then. Yeah. <laughs> your, your new husband goes with you then. We have not gone yet. No, oh. <laughs> he's not a huge Disney fan, but he said he'll come with me eventually. It was really hard though. The first time I've only gone once since, um, Steven passed away and it was honestly really, really hard to go. Then I was with my family. Oh, I guess I did go to Disney world too with his mom, with Steven's mom, but they, they were harder trips because so much of my time was spent there with Steven. Yeah. But it was so good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your husband's name now? Christian. Christian and you met in school. You're both in school Mm -hmm. and he graduated at the same time as you, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I initially was like, I'm never going to get remarried. (laughs) And so when I met him, I was just like, Oh, we're just friends, you know? And then it was kind of like, Oh wait, I kind of like him. And so that was kind of a hard thing to navigate too, but he's been very sweet about the whole, um, he's never been married before, but he's so understanding with grief and, knowing that I'm always going to love Steven no matter what. And so, and he's not threatened by that by any means. And so it's awesome. Yeah. I'm really great. grateful for him too. Yeah. Congratulations. That's exciting Thank you. to find, Thank find you. somebody special like that again. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I just think it's funny that it happened to me because I never dated growing up. Like Steven was really like my first boyfriend and then, no, I've been married twice in such a short amount of time. <laughs> Did you date very much in between Stephen and no, Christian? I yeah. didn't date at all. Uh-uh. It was just kind of like a, like I told Stephen before he passed, when we were talking about end of life, what I was going to do moving forward. I said, I don't plan on getting remarried, but if I'm supposed to, you literally have to just put someone in my lap because I'm not going to go searching. I hate dating. I hate the online stuff. It's like, you need to just literally set someone in my lap. And I feel like that's totally what he did with Christian. Yeah. Great. Um, is there any other financial lessons you learned through this journey that is important to share with people? I feel like the biggest thing that surprised me after Stephen passed away is that there's a thing called grief shopping, where when you're having those really griefy days, you tend to buy things that you don't really need just to kind of, you know, get that dopamine, happy feeling. So I feel like, um, I even like still to this day, I will accidentally, well, I shouldn't say accidentally, 
but I'll still do it to this day. When I'm having really griefy times, I'll get on Amazon and be like, oh, I totally need that. And just kind of convince myself that I need stuff. But I think that that would just be my biggest advice is just know that there's a thing called grief shopping. And when someone you love has passed, chances of you grief shopping are very high. <laughs> and I know with like a bunch of my widow friends, they've talked about that same thing too. So I think mm-hmm. just try to stick within your budget and make sure that you're not getting things that you unnecessarily need. Is there anything else like you found that helps that? Cause we've heard that from other widows too. The yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I think honestly, I feel like when I, I think having a close like widow group friends that you could have. So when you are having those grief days, you could just turn to them rather than turning to online shopping. Uh, good advice. I like that. Yep. Yeah. Cause that's, it seems pretty real. The, the grief and how to, you know, different ways to cope with it. Yeah. Um, were you much of a spender before? No. So this is definitely a lot of character and money happening <laughs> for you. Yeah. I've always been a saver. Like growing up, I've always just been like, I need to save all my money. So yeah, it's a shock when I'm like, Oh, Hey, I need to spend this on something I don't even need. <laughs> before Steven passed away, what was your kind of like concept with spending money when you knew he had cancer and he was likely going to die. How did that kind of change like how you spent and kind of your perspective? It's actually, it's funny you bring that up because I felt like, again, for me, I would not spend any money, but if Steven wanted something, I just bought it for him. Like in January of, or not January, but like maybe April of 2020, he had like started going downhill, but I, he was just like, I want new suits. So I was like, Hey, let's go buy you new suits. So we got him like three pairs of suits. And I was like, I know he's like going to wear these like three times, but <laughs> I just still, I, I felt like I was just, I just kind of was like, whatever to make him happy. Like, um, yeah, I wouldn't spend money on myself, but I would spend all the money on him. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. That's a sweet <laughs> way to show your love. I feel like you've emotionally matured at a faster pace than a normal person, oh. right? I, I feel like I'm an 80-year-old in like a 30-year-old's body. <laughs> the way that I'm just, yeah, I'm an old soul for sure. And just like how well you've been able to tell us on this podcast today, your story, just explain all the details. I, I feel like that's impressive how, how well composed you are and able to share your story. I, I know it will make a, a big impact for our listeners, so. Thank you. I've gone to lots of therapy. <laughs> I made sure to prioritize therapy a lot. Did you start therapy before Stephen passed away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started um, summer of 2020 and just kind of kept going ever since. So it's been super helpful. Yeah. And did Stephen ever go to therapy or do anything like that? Mm-mm. No, he, he was just... Um, I don't even know like how to describe his personality. He was just so like happy and content with whatever. He never felt anxiety. He never felt depressed. It was like the last week of his life. He felt a little anxious and he turned and looked at me and was like, is this what you feel all the time? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I am so sorry. So he just like, he never like, it was just, he was like, this is matter of fact, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. Like that type of stuff. He never, I mean, he would get sad from time to time, but it was never like anything like I experienced. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what was the best thing you feel like you did to prepare? I know you talked about like sharing passwords, making sure everything mm-hmm. is tiled in your name. Is there anything else we missed? I would just say making sure that you have like your wishes known. Um, like it was, cause especially right after someone passes, you think you know them well enough. Right. But when they pass your, your brain is just kind of clouded. So it's kind of nice to be able to know, like not even necessarily like their funeral arrangements or anything like that, but even just stuff that they own. So Steven specifically, like we went through his stuff and he was like, okay, I want this to go to my brother. I want this to go to my sister. Like they have, more ties with that. So I think, um, and I even want to say Marie, the last podcast, she was saying like, you know, clear out the junk, but I felt like we, we did that a lot together. And I felt like it was really helpful to just kind of know like, okay, right away, this goes to you, this goes to you. Like I know what he wants you to have in his memory and stuff. Yeah. Really great. Um, Summer, was there anything else you wanted to ask? Oh, I'm just curious about just what you're talking about. You had a little more time than you originally thought with your husband, mm-hmm. which is so awesome. But how would things have been different for you if he really did only have that six months to live? Do you feel like it would be... You know, it would be a totally... Yeah, it would have been a totally different story. Because at that point, um, he was still thinking he was invincible. And so it would have been like more... I mean, it wouldn't have been unexpected, but it would have felt more like an unexpected death where we wouldn't have had anything prepared. So that time kind of really gave you guys the ability to like really think about what, what, mm-hmm. you know, death might look like. And, yeah. and then with your father-in-law passing away too. I think that that, that was like the biggest turning point was having his dad pass away and us seeing what his mom had to go through. And so like seeing that and just being like, we don't want that. Yeah. How old was your father-in-law? He was 60. He's so young. And and he owned that business that you're Mm -hmm. as a worker for. Yeah. Yep. So they had to go through all of like the changing the name of the business into like the brother and all of that type of stuff. I don't know if you know anything. It was a real headache to change the business into somebody else's name. Yeah, it was, it was a huge headache and we had to, because of the, um, work that they did, because it's like through the state, they had to basically like fire all of their employees and then like rehire them and just pretty much make a whole new business. And the clients had to decide if they wanted to stay with them or it was, it was a lot of work. Did some clients leave then? Um, pretty much everyone stayed because they all yeah. wanted to stay. They had, they lost a couple, but it wasn't anything like too crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, was your mother-in-law's name on anything? Was she, did she have power or authority to do anything? Um, I don't believe so, but maybe, but Steven's brother did. Um, I think Steven's, I think because he was like the assistant director or whatever his name was on some of the stuff, thankfully. Yeah. But yeah. Probably really helpful. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing that we see a lot with the businesses is you should always have multiple signers on things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then if something happens to one person, another, uh, somebody else is able to step in. So thanks yeah. for sharing a little bit about that. And that's a whole, yeah. whole different path. <laughs> that's a whole story. other path. Yeah. 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 So, well, our final kind of question is 
um, we usually ask this of what would you thank Stephen for? I think you talked a lot about that already, but is there anything final that you know he did that was just really helped you in your journey? Yeah. This is where I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> um, I think just because he knew who I was and how anxious of a person I am, I would just thank him so much for being willing to realize what was happening and plan for the future. Cause it made it just that much easier for me. And it really was the greatest gift that he could give me. Yeah. That's a great legacy for you. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and he had even, I didn't even mention this, but he had even pre-planned like birthday presents, um, anniversary presents, Christmas presents for me for three years <laughs> wow. up until he, <laughs> yeah. So that way, like, I don't know, he did a lot of planning like behind the scenes of even me knowing, which is amazing. Cause I was with him 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you, Missy, so much for sharing. Um, really, really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.